glorify you. We lift you up. We say holy, holy to you today, Father. We worship you, Almighty God. If you have something to be thankful for this morning, would you say amen? amen. Father, we're thankful this morning for you, God, for what you've done and for who you are. We worship you today, God. We lift you up, and we're so thankful for it. We're thankful for it. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. You can be seated if you would, please. Hallelujah. So glad that you're here. Oh, it's so nice to have everybody here. You guys excited? Yeah. So excited to have you guys here. That's yeah, good. Nobody went water skiing this morning in the sunshine? I want to say welcome to all of our online guests that are with us here this morning. I know that you're watching. One of those people that is watching, if you will notice, is that my wife is not here. And so if you think this morning that I seem a little bit off, it's because I am. I'm off most days, but I'm just a little bit more off today. Um, because my wife is not here with us today, but I'm, I'm thinking she'll be back. I really do. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how I do it without her because she's not here, man. I am lost. I'm lost. So I miss you, baby. I know you're watching. All right. Let's, uh, for this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would be lifted up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, starting verses 1 through 12. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptizing by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
So uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we're going through the book of Matthew. This is what we've been doing. And now we talk about uh, this gentleman named John the Baptist. And, and, and remember, the theme of the book of Matthew is that uh, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's constantly pulling from the Old Testament to be able to show uh, people that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's speaking directly to a Jewish audience. And so this part of the story is about a, uh, John the Baptist, who was prophesied about uh, to say that there was going to be one that was going to come, that was going to prepare the way for Messiah, that was going to prepare the way for, for Jesus' arrival. And so this is what's happening. John is here, and he's going out, and he's doing a baptism of repentance for people to turn away from their sins and turn towards God. And so these guys called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're part of the Jewish ruling class. They show up, and they're uh, they're watching, and so John directly addresses them and says, you know what, you guys are a bunch of vipers, because uh, you guys don't know who God is, and you don't know what God's about. And so uh, when, when Jesus comes, he's going to establish who's with him and who's not with him. And if you're not with him, you're going into the fire, man. That's just how it is. Uh, and then he goes on to say that, uh, and, and when he comes, he's going to fan the flames of the fire, but he's also going to give you the fire of the Holy Ghost. He's going to give you the fire uh, that's going to help you through this life. Um, today, we're going to be talking about repentance. And, and uh, for those of you that have been at this church for a while, you know that this is a theme that I talk about a lot. And the reason why I talk about it a lot is because it's in the Bible a lot. Um, <laughs> that's just the nature of going through a book of the Bible is that you continually hear things over and over. And as a Christian and as a member of this church, I want you to understand repentance, but I, I want you to also be able to walk in it. But you've got to be able to explain it to other people because repentance and repent is not a word that you hear a lot within uh, Christianity. You just don't. Um, and, and this is just what happens when you go through a book of the Bible. Things are repetitive and that's, and that's fine. Uh, me personally, I believe that one of the greatest problems in the church, uh, not, uh, not just our church, every church, the church in, in, in America, is that there are tons of people who have never repented. Uh, they've, 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 uh, agreed to a set of beliefs, but they've never truly repented. They've never truly, uh, came to God. Uh, have you guys ever heard of this guy named Billy Graham? Have you guys ever heard of that guy before? Uh, he said in his message, the climax of history, and he said this in 1955, he said, there are thousands of people today in our churches who at least have their name on the church rolls, but who have no deep commitment to Christ. They've never really had an encounter with the living Christ. They've never been born of the spirit of God. They've never really been converted to Christ. And, and if, and if you look at what happens in a lot of churches, uh, that's really the problem. The problem is, is it's filled with people that have agreed to a set of beliefs, but they've never truly been converted. So what, what is repentance before we get into this? Uh, the Hebrew word is nakam, which means to turn around or change the mind. Uh, it's, it means to seek, to restore, to return. The Greek word is metanoia. And that metanoia is to change the mind. It's to think different about something. It's changing your mind. It's, it's, I'm thinking one way and now I'm going to start thinking another way. I used to have this belief system, but now I have this belief system. I, I, I like to use the example of uh, me and vegetables. Uh, I, I, for, I'm 45 years old and for the first 40 years of my life, I rarely ate vegetables. And when I say rarely, I mean it in the most strictest sense possible. I, I, my diet mostly consumed of, uh, of sugar and bread and greasy meats. Um, it still includes that, but it also includes a lot of vegetables. 
Because what happened is when I turned 40, I came to the realization that vegetables help you live. And, and, and so I, I had a mind change and I said, you know what? I'm going to start eating vegetables. I, and so now I don't actually, you won't hear me say things like I hate vegetables. I actually like vegetables because, uh, as you get older, you just want to clear out, you know, the plaque in your body and everything else. It's just like, I'm all about that vegetable life, right? I, I, had a, I had a mind change about it. I no longer hate vegetables. I look forward to them. And when I don't eat them, I think, you know what? I need some more vegetables. And I don't do it begrudgingly. I do it because I know, like, my, I've had a mind change about it. I reach for the vegetables. That's a mind change. I don't eat vegetables and say I hate vegetables. I eat vegetables and say I'm so glad I'm eating some vegetables. I know that. I know that's weird to see. Please don't leave the church. But I am eating vegetables. <laughs> And that's what repent simply means. It means to just turn around, have a mind change, change your direction. You weren't a vegetable eater and now you're a vegetable eater, right? You're moving away from God and now you're moving towards God. But it's not just that you're moving. You actually think different about it where where you used to be like, man, I don't like Jesus and I don't like God and I'm not living for him. Now I'm living for him. And this is what my life is about. There's nothing else that matters to me. It moves you from sin and living in your sin and not having any forgiveness to walking in forgiveness, receiving forgiveness from your sins, being able to live wholly and completely for God. You need to change the direction in your mind and actions to call it repentance. And if there's no change in the way that you think, and there's no change in the way that you live, you have not repented. See, but belief and repent are two sides of the same coin. And that the, the coin goes forward, but you cannot believe without repenting. And you can't repent without believing. When, when you have a belief, it changes your direction. But you can't really change your direction unless you actually believe. The two of those go together. When, and so when we talk about repentance, you cannot separate belief and change. Now, now let me be very clear here this morning. Repenting is not cleaning yourself up. Repenting is not changing your habits. It's not improving yourself. It's a simultaneous change of belief and action at the same time. It's when you say, you want, this is the direction now that I believe. And it's the direction that I'm going to change in my life. Why, why do we talk about repentance and, and why do I think it's so important? It's because repentance is central to the gospel. If you do not understand repentance, you do not understand the gospel, the good news. And now, now let me say this again, if you're watching online or you're in here listening this morning, I rattle off a ton of scriptures. And sometimes if you don't know your Bible or if I go really fast, you're like, okay, he lost me. The good news is, is that everything I say for the most part is, has notes to it. You can get all the notes online. Uh, they put them up on the website. I would highly encourage you for any message that's preached Use that as your Bible study. Go as you go through, go through the scriptures again and look at them side by side because I want you to know what the Bible says. I don't want you to know what I believe. I want you to know what the Bible says. Because if you would read your Bibles and you would know it, you would know that repentance is central to the gospel. And again, just to understand, I'm using a lot of these examples because I want you to get it. You cannot be in New York and LA at the same time. If you're in New York and you begin to move towards LA, you're no longer in New York. You're going towards LA. That's a direction change, right? That's, that's repentance. You cannot be living in your sin and consider it repentance. You can't. It, it just doesn't work that way. Repentance is a one-time act, but it's an ongoing way of living. 
I, I got saved. I, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. Um, and, and I've shared that with you guys many times. I used to go to this thing called uh, Jesus Northwest. Anybody ever go to Jesus Northwest? Oh yeah. A couple of you people, man. It was awesome. Clark County Fairground. They had, man, it was rocking. They had the Newsboys, DC Talk, Michael W. Smith, Audio Adrenaline. Yeah. Man, those were some good days, man. Good, good times. You know, it's funny, little side note. Uh, we were on a road trip and I shared with my daughter, some Michael W. Smith. And she said, dad, you listen to this stuff? It's like, yeah, man, my place in this world. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was legit, man. I mean, I literally went from Ice Cube and Easy E to DC Talk. Like I was super saved. If you didn't realize, I threw those in the trash. I was like, dit, dit, down with the DC Talk, right? Love is a verb, right? I mean, it was, uh, some of you young people have no idea how good you have it. There's no reason you shouldn't be listening to Christian music. You had to be really saved to listen to it back in the 90s. So, so I'm at, I'm at Jesus Northwest and, uh, it was a hot day and I was hanging out underneath this tarp and I was, there's a bunch of youth groups and Christians that are there. And so I'm hanging out and I'm talking to this guy and we just began to share our salvation stories, you know, like, Hey, how'd you become a Christian and what'd you do? And, and, and so he was talking to me about how he got saved, how he became a Christian. I said, Oh, well, tell me about it, man. What happened? He said, I was in my, I was at my place one night and I couldn't sleep. And, and I was watching uh, television and this thing came on called the power team. Does anybody remember the power team? The power team, man, this is the TBN heyday, man. There's this guy named John Jacobs and the dude was, he was huge and he had all these other buff dudes and they would like break bats and rip phone books and carry refrigerators and blow up hot water bottles. They would just do crazy physical feats and then they would lead people to the gospel. And it was, it was a spectacle to behold. Like I went and watched these guys in the uh, Seattle Center Coliseum. It was, it was just, it was great. <laughs> What? Look on YouTube. Find one of John Jacobs and the power team, man. It's legit sauce. And so anyway, he's telling me this story and he said, man, I was watching these guys blow up stuff and lift all this stuff. He goes, and then he presented the gospel and I, and I, I got down on my knees right then and there and I gave my life to Christ. And I said, man, I want to live for you, Jesus. And I want to be saved from my sins. And I said, man, what was that like? How did that change your life? He said, well, the next morning, my girlfriend woke up and I said, Hey, we're Christians now. We're not going to have sex anymore. And he goes, I started sleeping on the couch and she slept in the room. And I said, you're either going to become a Christian or we're not going to be together or we're going to get married. Like this is how it's got to be. He said, cause I wasn't going to live in my sin any longer. Amen. It's real life, real story. See, cause when you get saved and you repent, you don't stay in your sins and then say, well, I'm a Christian or, or, or God's love covers these sins. Listen, that, that, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God's love covers you, but God's love does not look past sin. Yeah. You can't do it. You, you've got to be able to receive the forgiveness of your sins, but Christ does not leave you in your sins. He doesn't come along and say, I'm so glad you came to me. Stay in your sins. No, he says, go away from your sin. He took a life change. He did something different and I get it. I always have to, I always have to address the people that don't agree with me in my sermons because people, people will always say, well, you know, I was taught this way and man, I don't know how you were taught. I was taught by the Bible. Uh, you, uh, the, the first word of John the Baptist was repent. 
Matthew 3, 2, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first words of Jesus in his gospel was repent in Mark 1, 15 and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first word of the disciples was repent in Mark 6, 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. The first word of instruction that Jesus gave after his resurrection in Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name of, uh, in his name to all nations. The first words of the, uh, uh, of the first Christian sermon was repent in Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the first words of the apostle Paul was to repent in Acts 26, 20, but he declared first to those in Damascus. Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Do not say to me that repentance is not central to the gospel. Don't say that because it is all throughout the, all throughout the scriptures. It's clear that Jesus wants it abundantly clear that we are to turn from our sins and turn towards God in an act of repentance. And to repent is simply to change your mind towards the things of God. Just have a mind change and say, you know what? I used to think this way, but I don't think that way anymore, man. I used to think Jesus was a bunch of bogus stuff, but now I know he's Lord over my life. I used to love my sin, but now I hate it and I love Jesus. I used to be filled with shame, fear, and doubt, but now I'm not. I know I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. And because of that, I'm not going to move towards that stuff anymore. I'm moving towards the things of God. That's what my life's about. That's what I'm consumed with. And when you talk to people and you try to share, share Jesus with them, and, and this is one of the problems I had when I was young in the faith, is that I wanted to share Jesus. I wanted to get people saved. But the, the problem is, is that when you go to somebody and you try to share with them salvation, they don't understand that they need to be saved from something. They're just lost. Because you come to them like, hey, don't you want happiness in your life? Like, I have happiness. Like, don't you want peace? I've got peace in my life. Don't you want friends? I have friends in my life. Like you can go down to any bar and get drunk and you can find peace and happiness and joy. You can go and hang out with a bunch of drug addicts and have a bunch of friends. You can do that. It's just not the Bible way of salvation. The Bible way of salvation is you are dead in your transgressions. You're an offense to God and his wrath rests upon you. And you must turn from those and receive Christ's salvation. Because I don't care how rich you are or how much you have or even how good you are in the world's eyes. If you have not received Christ, you are dead in your transgressions. You're dead. And, and, and you hear within the, the, the church world, you talk to Christian people and say, hey man, tell me about when you got saved. And they're like, oh, I was born in the church. Okay. All right. You're born in the church. You can be, you can be born in a you know barbecue joint. Doesn't make you a rack of ribs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, so when you hear these types of things, it's an indication that these people haven't repented. Well, how long have you been a Christian? My, my, my dad was a pastor. I, I was, and exactly. That's not getting you to heaven. My grandpapa was a pastor. I don't care. I don't care if you, everybody in your life is a pastor. I don't even care if you're a pastor. Have you repented? Have you turned from your sins and turned towards Christ? 
The, the, the gift of repentance is that you know there's been a direction change. And again, I, I, I want you to understand, I'm not saying you need to have a date and time. I have a date and time, and maybe you don't. Maybe it was a progression over a weekend or over a week or a month or a year or whatever. But there's got to be a gradual, like there's either it was like, or it was like a gradual change. Like, man, I used to live this way, but now I don't live this way. I used to believe this way, and now I don't believe that way. And if you don't have that, you should be like, maybe I haven't repented. Don't be prideful about it, though. Because what happens is that you, you preach a, a sermon about repentance and you've been living in church your whole entire life. And you're like, man, I don't know if I've repented at all. Well, that's pride. Uh, you can repent of that. Re- repentance is a way of living. I repent on the daily. Like, and, and that's the gift of repentance is that repentance kind of shows you like, oh my gosh, I'm moving in this direction. I shouldn't be moving in this direction. My mind has changed about how I feel about something. And so I'm no longer walking in repentance. I'm drifting back towards my sin because I've changed the way that I feel about it. When you first get saved, like, oh, I hate that. And I'm never going to go back to that. And I don't want anything to do with that. And then little by little, you get all these other things in your brain. Like, ah, it's all right. It's not all right. I'm just going to go back and pet it a little bit. And I'm going to dabble in it. So your mind has changed and your direction has changed. And then you're no longer walking in repentance. You're no longer walking in forgiveness. You've gone back to the slop. You become a pig and you're eating it. And you're saying, this is good food. Instead of turning back and saying, you know what, God, I want to live in your grace. I want to live in your forgiveness. And I don't want to live in the slop. See, repentance has fruit. It has fruit. You can see repentance. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's what John said to the Sadducees. And that's what the Bible says, is that if you have repentance, you will bear fruits. There's a, and, and if you don't understand what a fruit is, you plant something in the ground and then it produces something that is fruit, right? Maybe you didn't know that. And you know this, you know this in your heart. You can see fruit. And when you see no fruit, you got to check the root. Huh? Was that good? See no fruit, got to check the root. And you do it in your life, man. You do it every single day. And, and what's funny is that a, a pastor will get up and talk about bearing fruit. And then you get all in your mind like, man, do not judge lest you be judged. Like, I thought, come on, man. Really? Like you do this in your life. You do it with everyone and everything. You do it to yourself. And then and there's a nuance to this. There's a nuance. I'm, I'm not trying to encourage you to go out and judge someone's fruit. I, I, I'm, I'm more trying to get you to examine your own life. And check your own fruit. You know, it starts with you. It's not about you going around and looking for fruit in other people. But you check your own fruit. And, and if there's no fruit, that's a concern. And, and again, I, I want to I use this as an, as an example. Is, is because if you don't see the fruit, you should be concerned. Really, like if you don't like reading your Bible at all, that should be a concern. If you don't like worship... You don't like to hang out with other Christians. You don't like to serve or give and you don't have joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, or self-control. You kind of have to ask yourself like, did I agree to a set of beliefs, but I never really truly repented from my sins that I and I'm not bearing fruits of repentance. See, the Bible says in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these, there is no law. And, and, and that's the internal gauge of fruit that should manifest itself externally. 
is that you should be able to look at me like, Hey, I've got some fruit. There's something that I'm able to produce. Uh, many of you guys know in my previous life I did, uh, I was in sales and, and I was a sales manager. And, uh, if you're ever in sales and you're doing really, really well, they always want to make you a manager because they feel like, well, if they're doing well, other people are going to do well. What they don't realize is that people that do well usually do well and people that don't do well can't be motivated to do well just because they have a sales manager that used to do well. Nonetheless, I gave myself over and said, I'll do it. Sounds great. The problem is, is that, uh, you've got to get people that have no work ethic to try to get them to work. Sales, it's funny. And I can say this because I used to be in sales. People, people say, oh man, sales is no hard. It's really hard. Sales is not hard. Sales is work. That's all it is. The, The people that work the hardest seem to get the luckiest. And, and people want to believe that in sales, like, oh, he's got good salesmanship. No, you don't. I used to tell my reps, I said, listen, man, I could hire a dog to do your job. And if they would just walk through 50 doors a week with a brochure, you would accidentally find somebody that wanted to buy. That's all it takes. And so what happened is that this was a relentless job. We we dialed the phone 200 times a week. We walked through 50 doors asking people to buy. We did 16 presentations in front of people. And the hope was you could sell one to two accounts. And then on Monday mornings, you'd have to walk down. We call it the walk of fame, the walk of shame. And then you'd have to write your number on the whiteboard, whatever you sold that week. And everybody in the room was either like, yeah, or like you failed the team. And then you'd have to stand up either like, whoop, let me tell you how I made it happen. Or like, dude, I failed this week. You know, I just didn't make it happen. A little side note. I never had a zero week. But anyway, um, (laughs) I mean, did I say that out loud? I was just thinking it. And so... What happened is, is that you, you would go as a manager, you, after that meeting, you would sit down with somebody and you would talk about, it, especially after they had a zero and you'd be like, so, and it's always these, <laughs> you always ask these questions, you know, the answer to, so what happened this week? <laughs> well, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and what happened is, is that they would always try to glaze past the, the reality of they didn't do the work necessary. It was always just reasons. We started to say reasons or results. And they said, well, you know, I worked really hard and I did all these other things. And we know in sales that if you work hard, you produce sales. And so then they would come up with all these excuses why they weren't producing sales when the reality was is that they just weren't doing the work necessary to produce the sales. And so I would say things to them like, what you're telling me and what you're showing me are two different things. Because if you really wanted to work here and you really wanted to sell, you would stop doing what you're doing and you would start doing what you know you need to do. Like we're not paying you to sit in your car. We're, we're not paying you to, you know, come in here and, and make friends. You're getting paid to produce. And if you're not producing, sign this piece of paper. We won't see you next week. Go find somewhere else. Why, why do I share that story with you? Christianity is not a sales job. Don't get that wrong at all. Okay. The, the, the point of it is, is that what you say does not matter. What you do is what matters. Merely saying that you're a Christian, but not turning from your sins does not pay the bills. It just doesn't like, like this idea of just like, well, you know, I went to church and, you know, even just like reading your Bible or singing the the worship songs, like that's not what saves you. The only thing that can save you is turning from your sins and receiving Christ's forgiveness to just walk in that and receive the forgiveness that he has for you. People will say that they're a Christian or even say that they've repented, but there isn't any fruit. It's just words. 
And it says in verse 10, and even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Friend, that's a very harsh statement, is it not? If you're not bearing fruit, you're going to be thrown into the fire. This is a statement that John is saying to the Jewish leaders. They're the root of Israel. And he's calling out their lack of fruit and saying, you know what? You don't have any fruit. And because you don't have any fruit, when Messiah comes, he's going to cut you off. You're going to be thrown into the fire. This is serious, serious business. And, and, and some people would say, well, you know, Matt, that's, that's works based. You're, you're turning the gospel into a gospel of works. No, no, no. Quite the contrary. I can't do anything in and of myself. I can do nothing. It's only Christ's grace and mercy inside of me that has the ability to produce fruit inside of me. But if I haven't received it and I haven't walked in it and I haven't turned myself over to it, it's never going to produce that fruit. And any single one of you, any time in your life, you're always looking for the fruit for anything. And, and, and if you say, oh, don't do that, you're lying. You watch anything to see if it's moving in the right direction, right? If you say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lose some weight or whatever. You get on that scale and you're like, is it moving? Is it not moving? Right? You look at your body composition. Is it changing? If, if, if you are saying, oh, I'm going to save some money and your bank account keeps going down, it's because you're spending it. You're not saving it. You're looking for that movement, right? You put your car into drive and then you begin to move. You're just like, okay, we're moving. We're, we're going somewhere. You're, you're at the house. You're like, come on, let's go. We got somewhere to be. And they're like, I'm coming. No, you're not. You're sitting there. You're doing nothing. We do this in every area of our lives. You do it with your kids. Oh, I'm going to do the dishes. No, you are not. It's clear you're not doing the dishes. You're just giving me words. If you're doing the dishes, I'd see the dishes moving, but they're not. You're just saying you're going to do it. If nothing is happening, it's not happening. It's just words. That's all it is. And so repentance will bear fruit. It can't help but not bear fruit. Let me jump ahead here to Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, uh, Jesus is talking the parable of two sons. He says, but what do you think? Verse 28, a man had two sons, Jesus talking, red letters. And he came to the first one and said, son, Go work today in my vineyard. There's not, it's not a secret what Jesus is about. Work, vineyard, fruit, it all rolls together. And he answered and he said, I will not. Okay. But afterward, he regretted it. And then he went. Right? It's like the kids, I'm not doing dishes when you leave. And then you leave and you come back and the dishes are done. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which one of these did the will of the father? Right? There's two different sons. One says, I'm not going to do it. He ends up doing it. One one says, well, I will do it, but he doesn't do it. And they said to him the first, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. When you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. This is that part of our our faith that people don't understand is that Jesus came for the Jews and the Jews rejected him. So he opened it up to the Gentiles. This is why Jesus said, you know what? I spoke to the Jews uh, through John the Baptist and they rejected me. And so now these prostitutes and these uh, robbers are going to go to heaven over the people that are the root of Israel because they actually did the work necessary. They believed in the one that had been sent. But because you refuse to believe in the one that was sent, you're not going to go to heaven. No movement means you don't have any belief. 
Verse 32, and when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe in him. Now I'm going to say a definitive statement here that's going to ruffle the feathers of some religious people that are either watching this or, or, or seeing it on this recording. Maybe even some of you. Repentance is required. Repentance is a requirement of salvation. And this is a strong statement that some theologians would disagree with. Some would say that there's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing we have to say or nothing we would have to believe. But belief is an action. Repentance is an action. And if you don't believe that there's anything that you have to do, you're a universalist. What you believe is that God has already decided to send everybody to heaven and and there's nothing that you can uh, do to affect it. And if you, and if you believe that, that's just not biblical because the whole entire Bible is a story of action, doing, receiving, speaking. It's, it's the whole entire thing. If, If we're going to heaven, regardless of what we say, believe or do, why do we even read the Bible? Why is the Bible even written? Why do we, why do we even do anything? It doesn't make any sense, man. John the Baptist is refuting these religious leaders and he is saying to them, he's saying, you know what? You guys have to change your direction. You, you cannot be the same way that you are. And to do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does he mean by that? When, when Paul, it's not Paul, excuse me. When, when John is speaking to these Jewish religious leaders, he's saying, you know what, man, I don't care that you are the seed of Abraham. That's not what God is looking for. Who your family is and what your bloodline is, is not your ticket to heaven. That's not what's, that's not what is going to get to the heaven. You must repent. You must accept Jesus as Messiah, as the chosen one. Uh, This is a concept that flows throughout the Bible to change your direction. I was was talking to a a Christian pastor this week and he was talking about how someone had came to him and and wanted uh, him to do his, their child's funeral. And he said, I'm not going to do your child's funeral. And and they were like, and and, and I was like, why wouldn't you do your child's funeral? He said, because it's clear that you want me to come and put your child in heaven. You you want me to preach a sermon that's going to make you and everybody believe that your child went to heaven when they didn't live for Jesus. He said, I don't do that, man. I don't do that. I'm not, I'm not not going to come and spread false hope and tell everybody in the room that you're, you're, and it wasn't a young child. It was an adult child lived a certain way. And somehow God magically put them in heaven at the end of their life. And they lived completely contrary to the scriptures. I just don't do that. And some of you might say that's harsh. What's harsher giving people a false sense of hope and they wake up in hell. And so, and so he said, you know what, if you want me to come and preach Jesus, I'll do that, but I'm not going to come and put your child in heaven. I'm not going to do that. And so they said, okay, that's what you can do. And so he came and, uh, he preached a message that hopefully led people to Jesus. This is a concept that flows throughout the Bible. Change your direction, change your direction. It's a, this isn't just a new Testament concept. It's old Testament too. Jeremiah 26, 13. Now, therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And again, People will say to me, man, you are putting a yoke of bondage on people and discrediting the grace of God. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that at all. I'm, I'm actually freeing you from a, a, a yoke of bondage. 
I'm saying, you know what? You are living in your sins and all you have to do is receive what Christ has provided. Now, if you want to call that an action or a works or do semantics, I'm not cheapening the cross. I'm not saying that you're in power. I'm not saying that you're awesome. You're navel lint, man. Uh, But can you at least fall into the arms of the father? Can you grab the hand of the one that's trying to rescue you while you're drowning? It, like it's, it's not this works based religion. It's just a reality of what the Bible says because repentance isn't work. It's receiving, it's resting, it's releasing, it's turning, and it's all God's grace. It's, it's, it's accepting that you can't earn God's favor. It's accepting that you can't earn his love. It's giving everything up to him. And, and this is the, this is the direction change that Jesus required of people that interacted with him that were in sin. This is what the Bible teaches. The man at the pool in John 5, 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Yeah. That's what Jesus said when he caught the woman in adultery in John 8, 11, he, she said, uh, no one Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Don't keep doing what you were doing. Don't keep being how you were being. The biggest change is to simply stop being who you were. You're forgiven. Act like it. Don't continue to to where you're going to be. Now, here's the last part of it. Are you guys getting this this morning? You know, you're doing a good job. Lots of amens from the Bergens this morning. Thank you. I need that. Repentance isn't the end, though. It's not. And even John the Baptist knew it. He said in verse 11, "I, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, even John knew the limitations of repentance. The limitations of repentance is that repentance is not the, is not the end, it's the beginning. It's kind of like when you get hired for a job, everybody's, Hey, I got hired. Great. Time to get to work. People say, Oh, I got married. Yep. Time to get to work. Right. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of it. And so repentance is not the end of your relationship with Christ. It's the beginning of your relationship with Christ. And even Jesus himself promised, we're going to get into it in a minute, is that the, that God wants you to turn from your sins and turn co- towards Christ, but then he wants to actually have you receive the Holy Spirit. A little side note here, the Holy Spirit is not separate. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. And so you say, well, I want to receive God's Holy Spirit. It's not God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And so th- this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an idea that God himself is going to come and be inside of you and give you the power to be able to bear these fruits worthy of repentance. You can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it on your own power. But Jesus in his infinite wisdom said, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell inside of you. And I'm actually going to produce these fruits inside of you that you can't produce yourself because you are not able to do it without my power. John promised in this statement that Jesus would come in the power of the Holy Spirit and baptize believers with power from on high, the power that can only come from God himself. This is the great commission, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And, and many of you have heard that scripture many, many times you say, well, the baptism of the father and son, and the Holy spirit, and people baptize and say, baptize you in the father, son, and the Holy spirit. And we say that and it's good. It's not wrong. 
But there's three baptisms. The baptism of the Father is a baptism of repentance. It's turning towards God. The baptism of the Son is receiving salvation unto Christ. When you, when you get those two baptisms and they happen simultaneously, the turning from your sins, the baptism of the Father of repentance, and the receiving of Christ as Savior is the baptism of Jesus. We symbolize that in water baptism. There's a third baptism that says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and all of these work together. And again, the first two baptisms, you're, you're solid. You're going to heaven. You're good. But the Bible says, you know what? There's a, there's another baptism of the Holy Spirit that you need to receive that's going to help you to be able to live this life. This is, this is why in Acts 19 too, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So it's possible to be able to be out of your sins and living for Christ, but not receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you must receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit to be able to make it in this life. Repentance gets you right with God. The Holy Spirit will help you stay right with God. Because if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not going to make it. You are not strong enough. And, and really, that's the story of our, of our whole entire faith. In and of ourselves, we can do nothing. We, I, I don't have power enough to stop sinning. I don't have power enough to do right things. But the Holy Spirit inside of me, moving inside of me, gives me that power to overcome the flesh. Gives me that power to be able to walk in righteousness. It only could, And it's all Him. It's all him. This is why, again, he's like, oh, you're preaching works. I, I really hope I'm making it clear that this is not works. This is the best deal ever. You do nothing, you get everything. You do nothing, you get, and, and he does all the work. Romans 15, 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elycrium, I have fully preached, fully preached the gospel of Christ. Uh, Acts, Acts 1, 5, this is... Uh, Acts, Acts 1, 5. Well, that's John. I know it's going to be up there. I just want to double check something here. It's in the Bible. We're doing good on time. It's fine. In Acts chapter 5. Yeah. See? It's Jesus saying it. It's in red. See that? In red. It's the only part of Acts that's in red. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It was separate. It was distinct. It was separate from the baptism of water. It was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they asked him, had they come together and asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Blah, blah, blah. Continues on. Jesus wanted this baptism for his people, the indwelling of God himself. And, and, and again, this is not, uh, this is God himself coming to dwell inside of you. This is why John chapter three, verses five through eight. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And there's two kingdoms of God. I mean, there's the earthly kingdom, but there's the, the heavenly kingdom. But walking in the kingdom, you're not able to walk in the kingdom unless you're baptized in water and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must, you, 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 being born once isn't enough. You have to be born again by the spirit of God, and it's God's spirit himself that is able to do it. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Don't say the disciples weren't saved. The disciples were saved, but then when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took it to a whole nother level. It's like a whole nother level. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I, I really enjoy watching videos about supercars on YouTube. Does anybody else like to do that? Dude, it's legit. Like, I don't know what you probably watch. I don't know, potato videos or something, but like... And there's this car called a Bugatti Veyron, right? If you ever, if you ever win the lottery and you're like, I want to give something right for my past. After you pay off the building, give me a Bugatti. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> Cause they're like a million dollars. 
And, and a Bugatti Veyron, these cars cost over a million dollars. And, and, and they, uh, if you know anything about cars, like they, they have like a 600 horsepower engine, right? It's, it's amazing. Now, mind you, these cars are very expensive. I mean, the tires themselves are like $40,000. Uh, if you break a caliper, it's $30,000. I mean, these things are so, and, and, and it has like four radiators and all these other things. So the, you get in this Bugatti Veyron and it's got 600 horsepower and there's a separate key that you just go down and you go boom like that and you turn it and then it goes to a thousand horsepower. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a production car that goes 250 miles an hour, but you, 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 they, they say you have to go into launch mode. That's what they call it, launch mode. You, you can't, you can't go into launch mode unless you have that key and it takes you from, now 600 horsepower is a beast if you don't know anything about a car, but a thousand, it'll take your dental work out. Like it's, it's amazing. And so when you, when you, and you turn it, launch mode, let's go. And that, it's just like the Holy Spirit. Like you're in, you got 600 horsepower and there's launch mode. You know, it's like goes, you know what I'm saying? But that, that's what we need. That's what we want. We, we want to be able to have that power in our lives. Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It's only through the Holy Spirit that you have the power to, to, to speak bold words. And that's what we need, man. We need that boldness to be able to speak. You know, right now we're living in a time that needs Jesus more than ever. And, and, and we, we need to be able to walk in this boldness when we see people, we meet people. And I don't care whether you're at the store or you're with your coworkers, whatever, to have this boldness to let people know that they need Jesus. And if you don't have that boldness, it might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What a gift that God gave us to be able to dwell uh, within us. Amen. To say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to send you, I'm going to leave you guys, but I'm going to send a helper. Y'all are going to go crazy, man. It's going to be so awesome. Now, here's some promises of the Holy Spirit, and we're rounding the corner. We're almost done here. But here's some promises of the Holy Spirit that should encourage you to want to receive Him. The first one is truth. When you have the Holy Spirit, you are going to be able to discern truth from error. You'll be able to see things and say, man, that's of God. That's not of God. John 15, 26, Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... He will testify of me. He's a spirit of truth. And in the truth, you're going to know where you're walking. In a world that has lost its mind, you will not be able to navigate truth and error without the Holy Spirit. It's just not possible. It's the reason why those of you that have received the Holy Spirit can read the Bible and know what it says. Like I know people that didn't even graduate high school and they get saved and they get the deep revelations of the things of God because the Holy Spirit leads them into all truth. That's what happens. The news, you can't understand the news unless you know the truth of God's word. Dude, if you don't read your Bible, do not read the news. And if you don't, if you don't go to church, do not watch the news because some people just out there watching these news things all day long. It's fear, doubt, uncertainty. Dude, the, I don't want to go off on a rail here because we'll be here another hour. They want your advertising dollars. That's it. Okay. We have passed over. It's, we're no longer in the realm of truth. It's far from that at all. Fear and comfort. 
Acts 9, 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. You know, I'm, I'm not fearful of this world. I'm fearful of God. But I'm not fearful in a sense like, oh, I'm so afraid. I have an awful reverence for who God is. And because I trust God and I'm fearful of, uh, of him, not fearful and afraid, but an awe, respect of God, the things of this world don't scare me. Like, do the world's going to be the world. And friend, it's not going to get better. It's just not. Like, this idea of how quickly things change this year, they are not going to quickly turn around. They're just not. Uh, there, there has been a, a drastic change in the way that we do business in America. And it, it, it's just not going to go back to normal. If it does at all, it's going to be a while to be able to do it because the powers that be have seen it as a means to control the populace. It just is. And, and so you can, you have a choice. You can either walk in the Holy Spirit and be above it and be like, do you know what, man? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to live how I want to live and the world's going to world and, and that'll be fine. But you know what? You probably should have broke up with the world a long time ago. Uh, you, you probably should have said, you know what? I don't need their movies. I don't need their restaurants. I don't need their sports. I don't need anything. I just need my Jesus. And if I got my Jesus and I can do whatever, I can walk above anything that this world is going to do. And if you find yourself like, man, I'm so distraught and I'm overwhelmed because all these things in the world that I never should have loved in the first place were taken away from me. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you should be able to be able to move forward. Amen. Here's the last scripture and then we'll go. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the life that we all want, isn't it? I just want to abound in hope. I don't want to, I don't want to be pulled aside by this world. I don't want this world to dictate my happiness. I want, I want God to dictate my happiness because I want to be found in him, resting in him and his grace and his mercy. Amen. 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 Did y'all get something out of that? That's good. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I want to give you an opportunity to become one. Man, if it's not clear, I don't know how much clearer I could be. Either you are in your sins or you're not. You've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never turned from your sins and turned towards Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. And it's easy. It's the easiest thing. Just come fall into the arms of Jesus. So if you've never made that decision before and today is your day and you want to become a Christian, I want you to raise your hands right now. Raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to be a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? Now, maybe you've known God. Maybe you've said, you know, Pastor, I know the truth. I've been knowing the truth. I'm just not walking in it. I've lost my way. And I'm not saying, I always say this because I want it to be clear. It's not a bad weekend. But you know if you're moving towards God or you're not. And Christ is calling you today and saying, would you please come back? Would you fall into my arms? Would you let me be your, be your life? You need to come back to Jesus today. I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand so we can pray for you as well? So anybody needs to make that decision. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. He loved you. I see that hand too. I see that hand in the back. Praise God. God loved you when you were his enemy. How much more so now that he calls you son? He calls you his daughter. Just turn around. Fall into his arms. He's there for you receiving you, forgiving you. Father, we thank you for that gift of repentance, Lord. We thank you for that gift of grace and mercy. 
Father, we thank you that you're a God that saves, that you're a God that sets free. We receive your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, you go, everybody. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.